It is indeed good to see you back tonight uh, to spend time in God's Word, and it's always a blessing to me to stand out there and see all the children coming through the passageway, and passageway is a nautical term, the passageway out there. Goes over, uh, go over next door to the uh, Awana, and uh, I was talking to Larry earlier, and he was telling me about his granddaughter and knowing the gospel and that Jesus died for her. Uh, well, I'm sure she's learning that stuff from Grandpa, but she's also learning it over there. So it uh, goes a long way, and God, the Holy Spirit, using that to draw them to be saved as they get older. And I appreciate all those over there uh, working with those kids. We'll take your Bible tonight as we continue in our study in the book of Psalms. We're in chapter 139. Uh, and our thoughts tonight for just a few minutes will center around the inescapable God. You do realize you can't get away from God, right? His, uh, his nature and who he is. This psalm is attributed to David. Um, it is and has been called by some scholars the most beautiful of the psalms. And the reason for that is it deals specifically with the nature of God. And it deals with the nature of God in three areas of, of who he is. And one, of, one area that it begins with is his omniscience, the fact that God knows everything, his omnipresence, that God is everywhere, and then his omnipotence, which means all-powerful. And so David uh, deals with these these three things. And when we think about them for just a moment, uh, God's omniscience means his perfect knowledge of everything. Uh, God knows all things. Nothing is hidden from God. Now that should give us pause because we often think that our, our sin, particularly if we harbor secret sin, is unknown, that it's hidden. Nothing is hidden from God. God knows everything. His omniscience reaches to every place and to anything that could possibly happen or will happen in his universe. He knows, and it is a word of warning, if you will, in God's omniscience that um, to live a duplicitous life or to live one way and actually be another is nothing hidden to God. He sees that. And so it should move us as Christians in particular, those of us who are saved, to prayerfully examine our lives and be men and women of integrity. Um, sometimes uh, I fail, I sin, and it bothers me. One of the ways you know that you're saved is that it bothers you, okay? If you sin, and no big deal, it doesn't bother you, you probably want to go back to the beginning and check your salvation. But God's omniscience causes me to give pause and think about my life every day. Secondly, His omnipresence. There's nowhere you can be that God isn't there. I saw in the news they're really seriously thinking about sending a man to Mars, like or a man and woman, I don't know how to, who they're going to send. Mars is a long way from here. And uh, not to get off on that subject, but you know there's no air out there. There's, and when you get to Mars, there's no food there. And there's no water there. Um, God made this planet for us to live on. We probably ought to live here, what do you think? But the fact is, uh, when they get to Mars one of these days, guess who's already going to be there? God. He created the universe. He's there. He's, he, he fills all things. And then omnipotence means God's power. Um, 
there's nothing God can't do. The way I always look at it, God has no competition, no competitor. There's no other God out there. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Isaiah 45, 22, God said, look unto me all the ends of the earth and be saved for I am God and beside me there is nobody else. That's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, God said, you want to get saved? I'm it. Look, look to me. He's the one powerful enough to do it. Uh, one of the things that makes me think about when I think of God's omnipotence uh, is the security of our salvation. When God saves us, it's good forever. In other words, you're secure. Nobody can unsave you. Nobody can take you out of the hand of Jesus because he's God. Philippians 1.6 says that God began a good work in us. And Paul said, I am confident that he'll finish that good work in us. Uh, God is omnipotent. Nobody can stop his plan. So those three things, let's think about them in light of what David says here. And he begins with omniscience. Look at verses one through three. David said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. We could probably spend the rest of our time in these three verses, but I'll try not to do that. First of all, David said, God, you have searched to me. This is Sunday night Bible study, so take a little more time to think about that. There's a lot of people who could look into your life, but when God does it, you've been searched. You understand? God has, if God's evaluated you, you've been evaluated. I think of Belshazzar and the handwriting on the wall, and Daniel comes in and says, yeah, I'd be glad to interpret that for you. You've been weighed the balance of found wanting. Well, without Jesus, we're all found wanting. God's examined us. And David said, Lord, you have, you have, you've known me. Let me give you two or three areas where that really has traction. Number one, when God knows us, he knows our thoughts. That's a sense of that. That's personal, isn't it? God knows our thoughts. Thoughts are kind of like words. Sometimes they're hard to control, aren't they? I mean, James said the tongue like sets on fire and defiles the whole body and comes from hell. That's pretty strong. Well, the words that we speak often come from our hearts, from, from our thinking. And so God knows our thoughts. David said, Lord, you know me. You know my thoughts. God, you know my words. You ever mutter to yourself? Hit your thumb with a hammer, you mutter to yourself? Drop something on your toe, you mutter to yourself? Your wife moved the coffee table and you don't know it and it's dark and you hit your toe on there and you mutter to yourself? God hears those words. God hears them and he knows them. So he knows our thoughts, he knows our words. Here's one. When David said, God, you know me, God knows our motives. God knows our motives. You give money, you know, you give your tithe or your offering, and your motive is to make yourself feel good. Like, man, I, I'm, I'm a really good Christian, man. I'm giving my offering. And you kind of make sure somebody else knows that you're giving. Well, you have your reward. God knows your motive. Jesus said, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Do it. Do it with the motive to honor God. Well, that's the way in everything. You know, you, can, you and I can be prideful when we share the gospel. I, I've heard people talk about evangelism like counting coup, you know, like, like scalping people or skins, you know, like, man, I got 15, how many did you get? 
I used to hate that. I'd go visiting with some guys and they'd come back after visitation. Man, we led four people to Jesus tonight. You lead anybody to Jesus? No. You know, God knows our motive. What's your motive? So David said, Lord, you know me. And in David's case, God said, I know your spirituality. I know your spiritual condition. I know if you're saved or not. I know if you really have a relationship with me. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, when Saul was getting fired, and Samuel was delivering the message. He said to Saul, God's looking for a man after his own heart. And he's found him one. And that was David. So God looked into David's heart and David said, God, you know me. You know me. You know that I love you. You know that I want to serve you. Listen, dear ones, when you, when you fail, and we do, and when our flesh is weak and we fail God, be comforted in this when we confess God knows our heart. and He knows that we want to serve him. And we, he knows we want to please him and that we want to do what's right. And God knows who we are. So I would say be genuine before God. Have your thoughts purified and your words sanctified and your motives checked by the biblical truths of the Bible and our feelings and our, religious, our religiousness. Let it be genuine before God. Then David said this in verse 2. He said, God, you know my daily activity. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts from afar off. I wrote in my notes, God's way ahead of us. God's, you know, you get up in the morning and you have your plans. And I don't know how you operate, uh, but Sherry knows this is how I am. From the moment I wake up in the morning and my feet hit the floor, even while I'm going to take a shower, I'm thinking about what I got to do for today. I mean, I'm just wired that way. I'm, and sometimes when I go to bed at night, I fall asleep thinking about the stuff that I got to do the next day or, or responsibilities. And so my heat... I'm, I'm in automatic mode, getting a shower and stuff. I'm thinking through all the things that I'm going to do today. Here's an encouragement for you. God knows my daily habits. He's way ahead of me. He's already, he's already out there. He already knows what's going to happen. That ought to encourage you. David said, Lord, you, you know my sitting down and my rising up. You know what I'm going to do. In fact, he says, you've seen me from afar off. You, you saw my thoughts. You understand my thoughts from afar off. Here's what that means. It means that God sees our plans in the early stage, and he already sees the end of them before we know what the end of them are. That's, that's a great God, isn't it? He knows my ways. He sees them from afar off. Here's what that reminds me of. We are very wise to begin the day asking God to direct our paths and not us because he's already seen our thoughts from a way off and he already knows what's going to happen. So we need to begin the day. God, I have my plans for today, but what are your plans for today? What is it you want me to do and how do you want this thing to go? And then, and then David says, Lord, you even know my, my downtime, my rest time. Look at verse three. You comprehend my path and my lying down are, are acquainted and are acquainted with all my ways. I wrote down here, God, God knows when you want to go on vacation. God knows when you need rest. God knows, he made us. And in the pattern of creation, what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. Now listen to me, God wasn't tired. God didn't need rest after creation. You know, it wasn't like God went, man, that creation stuff was hard work. I need to take a break. No, that's not, he's God. But you know what God did? He set a pattern for us. He said, I'm going to create you and you need rest. So God knows that. David said, God, you know my lying down. You know my, my rest. Hey, do you know that God knows our recreation? What is it you like to do? 
playing golf, catching fish, shooting skeet. Well, I mean, pick it. I mean, whatever it is. I got Sherry bought me a membership to the gun range for Christmas. And man, I go down there and the only thing that limits me is I can't afford to buy that many bullets. But I can go down there and shoot some targets now, which might be dangerous for the bad guy because I've been shooting a lot. The point is God knows our recreation. He knows what we like to do. He knows what, and it's okay. Let me, let me give you a, a negative aspect of that. And I shared this with our Bible study class the other day, and I'm going to say it. I know it's being recorded, and I know somebody's going to watch this, and there's a potential they're going to get their feelings hurt. But it's true, so, we, so you've got to understand this. Sometimes the staff, we have people come to us, and they'll say to Bill or Jeff or me, we're just going to take a break from church for a while. Okay, you're a big boy, big girl. You do, do what you've got to do. But let me ask you a question. Can you take a break from God? What are we talking about here? His omniscience. He knows everything. Can we just say, God, I'm going to take a step back? Because here's what that's tantamount to. Here's what that's synonymous with. The body of Christ, the church, is his church. It's what he called and saved us to do, to be in the body of Christ and to serve him here and out there in the world. So in essence, when we say, God, I'm going to take a break from the church, we're saying, I'm going to take a break from you. God, I'm just going to take a step back. And yeah, I know, I know the whole do loss thing that Paul says, like I'm a bond servant to you and I'm supposed to serve you, but I'm going to take a break from that whole servant thing. What do you think about that? Probably the same thing I think about that. That's nonsense. We, listen, you know when you can take a break from serving God in this world? When you die. Because then God's going to take you to heaven and you can serve him up there, okay? There is no taking a break from serving God. There's no stepping back from the church. It's wrong. And again, I love you. If you're watching the video and you did that and now you're mad at me, I love you, okay? But listen to me. God knows. He knows. He knows our rest. He knows when we stand back. We are ever under the watchful eye of the Heavenly Father. How can, how can we say, God, I need to rest and that's okay. You can take a vacation. I take vacations. Sometimes I even take a day off, not very often, but I just, some days I wake up and go, I'm not doing anything today. You ever do that? Then I find something to do. It doesn't last very long. The point is God knows. But to say we're just going to take a break from God, um, that's not really biblical. So now, verses four and five, David says, Lord, you know my words and you know my path. This is good too, and all of God's knowledge. Verses four and five, for there is not a word on my tongue but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. Man, that's one of those cringing, that's one of those verses that causes a cringe, doesn't it? I mean, God, God, you know all the things that I say. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Let's talk about, let's talk about our words for just a minute. A place where we're all, we're all guilty. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who retains his lips is wise. You know what that, you want me to interpret that for you? You can't say the wrong thing if you keep your mouth shut. That's what it means. And, and listen, even Jesus said, let your responses be yes or no, and anything more is an opportunity to sin. Okay. Now that doesn't mean all you can do is say yes and no. But what it means is have the conversation, say what needs to be said, and then don't begin to embellish it. Because the more we talk, the more apt we are to sin. 
And that is just a fact. That's just a fact. Now, for introverts like me, it's easy because I can stand in a room and not say a word. Even when God's poking me, go talk to that person. I'm like, eh, later. <laughs> but listen, too, too, too many words is an opportunity to sin. You know, James said this, and I just referred to it a moment ago. Listen to what James said, James 3, 6. He said, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. He said, the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. Listen, and it's set on fire by hell. Man, the tongue, the words. You know, people, uh, when I was in school, it said sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That's not true. Words can leave an indelible mark. And you know, when you say something, you can't take it back. Kind of like that old illustration, you take a pillow full of feathers, and you go out in the wind, and you shake that thing out, and the feathers go over. You ain't never getting all them feathers back, okay? I don't care how hard you look. Same thing with what we say. You say, well, wow, if, if, if God knows my words, maybe I just won't ever speak again. Well, that's not really practical, but here's the deal. We, we need to be so in tune with God the Holy Spirit that we say what that we think before we speak and that we let our speech be seasoned by the Spirit and by the Word of God. Now, I'm not always successful at that. You say, Pastor, oh, listen, I was in the Navy for over 20 years. I know how to, I know how to say bad stuff, and I don't want to say bad stuff. But the fact is, words... Words can do a lot of damage. You have to be careful. Then David said this. He said, you go before me, you hedge me in behind, and you go before me. I really like that. And you say, well, what is David saying there? Well, one writer that I like his view of it, and I, he, he said this. He said, God is close behind us all the time doing one of two things. He's either recording our sins or he's blotting them out. One of the two. You say, well, what's the difference? I'm glad you asked. For lost men and women, God's recording everything. Why? Because they're going to be accountable one day. For those of us who are, who are saved and we sin, God's back there with the blood of Jesus blotting it out. Because what do we know about being saved? The moment we got saved, God pardoned all our sin, past, present, and guess what? Future. Every sin you'll ever commit the rest of your life is already under the blood of Jesus. Now, be very careful. That's not a license to sin. But it is a grace of God that my sin is covered under the blood of Christ. So he's behind us, either recording sin or blotting it out. And he's before us, meaning he's going ahead of us. I, I say this all the time about our prayer lives. You should pray in the mornings. I know you can pray in the afternoon. Pastor, I pray when I get home at night. God bless you. Good. But listen, when you pray in the morning and God goes before you and you get yourself behind God first thing in the morning, he clears the way for you, right? He clears the path. He makes it smooth. And I ask God every morning, keep me from sin so that he restrains me. I want God to go ahead of me and hold me back when I need to be restrained. How about you? You know why? Because in this flesh, I can become unrestrained in a hurry. And I need God to restrain me. 
because I don't want to embarrass him and I don't want to hurt my testimony or the testimony of the church. Listen, I, 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 I'm transparent with you. Listen, I told you the story at the hospital one day. My dad's sick. He was elderly. He was, he was in bad shape. And I got aggravated with him because I just got aggravated. I know you never get aggravated, but I did. And so in my aggravation, I was trying to restrain myself and I was praying, but I was being not ugly, but forceful with what I wanted them to do. Look, I want you to do this and I want you to do it right now. And the guy goes, okay. And about five minutes later, he goes, aren't you the pastor at Oakleaf Baptist Church? And I said, yes, I am. Now get my dad out here like I told you to. Listen, you need God to go ahead of you before the day begins. And that's what David said right here. God, you're behind me. You're ahead of me. And what David was saying is, God, you hedge me in. God, you got me all day long and you watch over me. Where we lose the effect of that is when we decide to go on our own way and not trust God. But he says, you go before me, you go behind me. Now, here's David's summary statement about God's omniscience. In verse six, he says this, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Here's what David was saying. He said, Lord, when I think about what your omniscience really means, when I think about all the things that, that, that I understand about what you know about me and concerning my life, he said, I can't comprehend it. It's too high for me. It's too, it's too much for me to try to understand. Now, God, God created in his image. In fact, we're the only creatures on the planet that can do deductive reasoning, that we can evaluate things and we can figure stuff out and we can build. Why? Because we're, we're made in the image of God. We build things. We make stuff. We take what's here and we, we, we use it because God told us to. But when we begin to think about the height of God's knowledge, it, it, it's beyond our capacity. It's incomprehensible. We can't, we can't fathom the, the extent of God's knowledge we can attain to. And David said, Lord, it's too wonderful for me. And wonderful is a good word. And let me just say this. I had a guy one time, he would, uh, we would talk about the Bible and he would go, man, there's just so much that I can't understand and it troubles me. And I said, let it not trouble you. Here's why. I wouldn't want a God that I could explain. I wouldn't want a God that I could just explain everything about him because he wouldn't be that great. He wouldn't be any better than me. But listen, our God is greater than the mind can comprehend. And his ways are higher than our ways. And his knowledge is more than us. And David said that, it's too wonderful for me and I can't attain it. Then David moves from talking about his omniscience to talking about his omnipresence in verse 7. Look at it. He said, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? Simply, you can't get away from God. And I said that in the beginning. He's inescapable. The atheist would say, where is God? Well, I like the guy, the, the, the pastor, John Aerosmith from the 1600s. He, when, when the atheist says, where is God? He said, let me ask, first ask you this, where is he not? That's a good response. What do you mean, where is God? Well, where is he not? He's everywhere. He's, he's in everything. And then David illustrates it in verses 8 to 12. Look in your Bible. David said, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave and Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. 
If I say surely the darkness will fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide, you, hide from you, but the night shines as a day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You know what David's saying there? You can't hide from God. There's nowhere you can go. There's nowhere in his creation, in his universe, you can go that God's not there. Look at what he said, the highest place. Can I ascend to the highest peaks? Can I ascend to the highest mountains? Can I go to Mars and get away from God? The answer is no. Because when you get to Mars, God's already there. What's the last planet in our solar system? I forgot. Kids, they teach that in school anymore? Oh man, y'all are missing out. I know they keep adding planets and taking them away. So I don't know how many is in our solar system now. But whatever the last one is that's out there that would take a lifetime to get to if you tried to go on a spaceship, when you get there, God's already there. Why? Because it's his universe. And David says, you can't go anywhere. Then he said this, hey, if I go into the grave, if I leave this life, God, you're already there. Had a man tell my dad one time, I've shared this, we were standing by the fence, I was a kid and I heard a guy. He said to my dad, you're like that dog. When you die, you're just going to get put in the ground and that's it. My dad wasn't a preacher, but my dad looked at him and said, that's not true. He said, the moment you die, you're going to meet Jesus. Are you ready? Listen, David said, when I go in the grave, I can't get away from you, God, because when I leave here, it's face to face, okay? And when I leave here, it's going to meet. There was a guy who wrote a, a column, and I referred to it this morning, that really just ran it against Christianity. And a, and a friend of mine had given it to me, and he wrote a note on there, and I read it this morning. And he wrote on there, and he said, one of these days, this guy's theology is going to run into a brick wall. And what he was saying was, one of these days he's going to die, and he's going to meet God face to face, and he's going to realize how wrong he was about God. David said, when I die, God, you're there. I can't get away from you. You are everywhere. And he said, the uttermost part of the sea. Now, I can relate to that. Man, I have, been, I have been in the ocean about as, as far away from land as you can get from anywhere. And that, by the way, is over in the Indian Ocean, which is huge. And I have set up in a helicopter control tower at 1 o'clock in the morning, landing helicopters, looking out at the ocean, and the moon shining. And you know what I saw when I was looking at that? I see God everywhere. I see God everywhere. I see the fluorescent plankton stuff, whatever that stuff is, shining in the water, and I see the stars, and I see the moon, and every now and then a helicopter goes by, gets in my way, but then he goes away, and I look at the sky again. I mean, listen, it's awesome. David said, Lord, I could be, I could be in the furthest reaches of the sea in the utmost part of the earth, and you're there. You want an example that that's true? Remember a guy named Jonah? Jonah was going to run from God. Now, in Jonah's day, Tarshish was about as far away as you could get, Spain. And Jonah said, God, I'm not going to Nineveh, and I'm not preaching. In fact, I'm going to get as far away from them and you as I can get. And he got on a boat headed for Tarshish. And you know the story. They throwed him over the side, and a big fish swallowed him. Guess where Jonah found God? Inside the belly of a big old fish, okay? So I'm telling you, there's anywhere you can go, that God isn't there. In fact, Jonah prayed and God heard him and the fish spit him out. So you can't go anywhere where God's not. And then, and then David said this, and this is endemic of all, humanity, of all humanity. He said, God, even in the darkness, we're not hidden from you. Isn't it interesting that in man's sinfulness, he likes to commit his sin in the dark? Now, I guess the hardest, hardcore drinkers and partiers will party in the morning before lunch, and I knew a few in the Navy. 
But most people who are going to go out and be, uh, be sinful, they do it in the evenings. They go out when it's dark. Why is that? Because they think the, the darkness covers up what they're doing. And, it, and it's no accident that in society, the, the murders and the rapes and the assaults and the adultery and the fornication and all the, all the uh, sins take place at night. It's no accident we say, hey, don't go downtown at night. Why? Because that's when people are doing their worst. You know what David said right here? God, the darkness doesn't cover our sin. You see it like the daytime. It's like the middle of the day. And then let me, let me finish with omnipotence. Beginning in verse 13, having discussed God's omniscience, his all-knowingness, his omnipresence, now David turns to his omnipotence, his all-powerful. Begin in verse 13, for God, for you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. What a marvelous passage. And he speaks of God's omnipotence in terms of creation and in terms of human life. First, he said, God, you formed my inward parts. The words there really mean to put together in the form of knitting or making a basket or knitting something together. And what David's saying is, God, you, you, knit, you knitted me together. You, you put me together. And more than the physical, because he gets that to ne- next when he says, you covered me in my mother's wounds. What he's saying here is this, God, you created me uniquely for who I am. And that's, this is good, so listen to this. God created every human being unique. No two people are alike. Just look around. No two people are alike. I mean, think of all the ways that we're different. We're different intellectually. We're different uh, in personalities. We all have different uh, fingerprints. We We are, you are uniquely made by God. There's not another person on the face of the planet like you, which is amazing because there's seven, eight billion of us and God just keeps creating people all different. He just makes a brand new person. Every time a baby's conceived, he just makes a brand new person that's different from everybody else on the planet. That's what David's saying. God, your power is demonstrated in the fact that you just keep making people who are all different. In fact, David said, God, you created my personality. You created, you created who I am on the inside. You're the one who created me to have a heart to love you. That's pretty good, isn't it? Sherry tells me all the time, there ain't nobody else like you. I said, I know, babe. Aren't you so lucky? She goes, not always. But. The point is we're all different. And our spouses are the ones who really figure out how different we are, don't they? I mean, they go, well, you're just unique. They're no more like you. But that's part of the wonder of marriage too, isn't it? But the fact is, listen, David's saying, God, your power, your omnipotence is, is demonstrated in the fact that you made me unique from everybody else. God, you created me. Now, let me say this. God don't make mistakes. 
God don't make mistakes. See, in man's eyes, we'll see somebody and we'll say, man, there's something wrong with that person. Not in God's eyes. Not in God's eyes. See, sin messes up stuff in this life. But God creates perfectly. And every human being has value. Every human being. Even the ones that are still in the womb. Because God created them. And they ought to be protected. God created us individually. Secondly, David said, God, you covered me in my mother's womb. Now here's the part where the knitting together has to do with bones and sinew and muscle and organs. He said, God, you put my body together. You created it. You make it function. It is a miracle. Listen, there is, there is no greater miracle on the face of this planet than for a baby to be conceived and a human being to be born into this world. There's no greater miracle. I was, I was very fortunate in my military cycles of deploying and being home to be home for the birth of both of my children. And I got to be in there to see them born. And there are no words, and you know if you've experienced this, there are no words to describe when your baby's born and you get to hold them and they got toes and fingers and eyes and eyelids and hair. Sometimes they got hair, sometimes they don't. I mean, but you understand what I'm saying? You're looking at this, this perfectly formed human being, this little tiny person that God just created over the last nine months to, to knit together and to make. And if you can't, listen, if you can't see God in that, you're blind. If you can't see the miracle and the power of God in that, a person is blind. And that's what David's saying. God, you formed me. And then he said, God, uh, marvelous are your works. I think what David was saying there, and we're about done, so listen. When you look at the human body in regard to creation and the power of God, and notice that he didn't talk about any other creation than life, than human life. The human body is a masterpiece of how it functions. The, only, the things that are wrong with the human body in this life are brought on by sin because the world's cursed by sin. But when God made Adam, he was perfect. And when you think about the human body, and those of you who work in the medical field know far better than I do, the articulation of the joints and the hands and the, and the hand-eye coordination and the, and the way that the body functions and the organs. Let me tell you something. I worked in electronics in the Navy, and we, we built computers, and we built, we, as a matter of fact, airplanes now are so, jets, fighter jets are so technologically advanced that they exceed the physiological abilities of the pilots, so they have computers on there so that the plane doesn't outperform the pilot's ability to function, okay? That's how technologically advanced we are. But we, but in comparison to the function of a human body, we're still playing with crayons, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, the human body functions. Think about uh, when I was a kid, I played baseball. I played Little League baseball. And the, 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 in a professional, it's 90 feet from the pitching mound to the, to the plate. And it's a little close, about 60 feet for Little League, depending on how old you are. And when you get older, they move it back. But even at, at, at 60 feet or 90 feet, a guy pitches the ball and it's, going 40 miles an hour, 45, 50 miles an hour. And the hand-eye coordination to hold the bat and to judge the speed of the ball and when to swing the bat is beyond, it would take a supercomputer to figure out how to do that, okay? 
And then think about the ball gets hit and you're playing first base or shortstop and I played infield. It's not far from where the guy just hit that ball till it gets to you and it's coming in a hurry. And your eye sees the ball and you put the glove up and you catch it and your brain is, is functioning all at the same time. You know, when I catch it, I got to throw it to second base and we're going to turn a double play and I'm going to throw it to first. Your body and your brain are working so smoothly that you just do this stuff and it looks like an orchestra going off, right? You can't build a robot to do that. You can't build a machine to do that. God built human beings to be able to do that. And then you watch musicians, right? They read all those dots on a piece of paper and they all mean something. And if they got lines on them and two dots, they mean something else. And, and the little squiggly thing at the end, the uh, trouble clef, trouble's not a good word to attach to something, but it's the point is, you got all this, and a, and a human being's mind can look at that thing. And on a piano, Sherry's explained it to me. You're playing with two hands, and you're reading all four lines of music at the same time, playing all that stuff, and at the right speed, and at the right time. That gives me a headache just to think about it. And God created us to be able to do that. Why? Because we're creating His image. So, what David's saying here is we close. God, the greatest example of God's omnipotence, the fact that he's the God of creation, is that human beings are walking around, created in his image, and you can see it in human life. Hebrews 4.13 says this, and we'll close. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, listen, but all things are naked and open to his eyes of him with whom we must give an account. The King James says, of him with whom we have to do. To him whom we have to give an account. There's an omniscient God who's omnipresent and he's omnipotent. If you've never been saved, he's the one you're going to have to deal with. If you're watching online, you need to understand that. You're going to have to deal with God one of these days. You might say, Pastor, I'm an atheist. I'm an agnostic. I'm just not sure. Well, I said it this morning. Your opinion doesn't change the truth. God is God. And one of the days you're going to meet him. Don't let your theology, as my friend said, run into a brick wall one day, okay? Come to Jesus' way out of opportunity. Confess him as Lord. Ask him to forgive you. And listen to me. If you have questions online, here, you say, boy, I sure have questions. Ask somebody. Don't just walk out of here and go, well, I don't understand that. I guess I'll figure it out later. No, ask somebody. See Bill, see me, ask Jeff, ask somebody to help you understand what you need to know about Jesus Christ. Don't leave here lost. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Lord, I, we can't even begin to comprehend. God, you, you know everything. It's more than just knowing it. God, you cause everything. You control everything. It's all under your supervision. God, you are everywhere. There's nowhere we can be that you're not there. And God, you are all powerful. There's not a thing in this universe that you can't control or that you can't move. And God, you do control it to bring about your eternal purpose. I thank you that in that eternal purpose, there was a time when you planned to save me and you planned to save all those who will trust you by faith. God, if there's somebody here tonight without Jesus, I pray right now that they would just pray from their seat or where they are online watching on the video. God, 
I'm a lost man. I'm a lost woman and I need to be saved. And God, I want to be saved right now. Forgive me. Save my soul. You'll save all who ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing. You come if I can pray with you or help you.